All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. On this Earth Day, people take times. Sometimes they plant a tree or they introduce some plants into their lives. And recently, Facebook groups like Victory Garden 2020 and Victory Garden Over COVID-19 have recently popped up. So clearly, enthusiasm for plants is high. So we thought we'd invite houseplant expert Summer Rain Oaks back onto our show to take your plant care calls. Are you looking to grow an herb garden this spring? Or do you just want your Boston fern to live its best life? Well, Summer Rain Oaks knows just about everything there is to know about caring for plants in a city environment. She's the founder of Homestead Brooklyn, Plant One On Me, and the host of YouTube series Houseplant Masterclass. She's also the author of How to Make Your Plants Love You. Of course, our friends in the suburbs, your calls are welcome too. Summer, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me again. Of course, you were a huge hit last time. Our phone lines were full up. So folks, do you have a question about <laughs> caring for your house plants now that we're spending more time with them? Do you want some tips on propagation? I want to help keep some plants alive? Our lines are open. The number is, this is a new one, guys, 646-435-7280. 646 435 if you have a question for Summer Rain Oaks. So, Summer, let's just talk philosophically for a minute. How do you believe plants improve our quality of life, especially since so much, so many of us are spending so much time at home now and isolated? Well, I think when we're considering like living in our homes, um, which is uh, hopefully what, something that we do, you know, our homes are something to come back to and hopefully decompress. Um, but you know, right now we're probably spending an inordinate amount of time, even more so than we are typically are. So making your house feel cozy, you know, whether that means having nice blankets and pillows and a place for you to read or whatever that might be. I mean, plants are naturally something that um, really livens up a space. Um, I know, even though I'm not in my home right now, and I'm doing this, um, this interview, it's one of those things that I love being home in my space, because it makes me feel so cozy. And largely, it is because of the plants that I have around me. And, you know, there is great science out there that shows that plants do make people feel um, better. And oftentimes that science is related back to people who might be, um, you know, in a hospital who mm -hmm. are, are healing from um, some type of uh, trauma. Um, but there's a lot that goes into also just the qualitative things of it. So it's not just like horticultural therapy. There's also therapeutic horticulture. And a lot of folks will just share anecdotal reports of how plants just make them feel more creative, more happy um, in their own living environment. And, and plants really help fulfill that. Our phone lines are open. The number is 646-435-7280 if you have a question about your plants. Or if it's more convenient for you to tweet us a question, you can do that at all of it WNYC. We have a tweet up there you can respond to. You can also send us a message at Instagram, at all of it, WNYC. So, Summer, you've written about selecting plants for your home and finding the best plant for you and your space. How should someone approach 
plant selection? What are some questions that you need to ask yourself and to consider? Well, this is really good for right now because I think there's a lot of folks, as you were mentioning, that are just starting to, to get into plants. So there's a lot of beginners out there who are like, okay, I'm going to be home for this long, or I'm going to be in my backyard, so why not actually get around to, to gardening, whether that's indoors or out. When we're talking about an indoor environment, um, one of the best ways is to really understand the quality, the quantity, and the intensity of light that's actually coming into your home. And one of the best ways in order to be able to do that is, of course, just to observe, but um, if you have like a smartphone, for instance, it's really good to be able to just go to your compass. Um, it's usually an app on your on your smartphone and just see what direction your windows face. Um, you might notice just like the if the, the sun is rising, well, then you probably have a little bit of an eastern exposure. If the sun is setting, then you probably have somewhat of a western exposure. If you don't get any kind of uh, direct light at all, then you're probably in a northern exposure. And if you're getting this kind of intense light, um, then you're probably getting uh, you're probably in a southern exposure, um, and there could be many different variations, of course, uh, of that. So knowing that is really important because it'll help set you up for success when choosing plants. Um, you know, you get a lot of folks who are like, I could just kill a succulent, um, and and I was just saying on a another interview I was giving is like, I could kill a succulent too, especially if you don't know um, if you're putting it in like a dark corner. Uh, you know, because most succulents will like to have a little bit more intensity of light. So just just knowing that um, in your own home is going to help set you up for more success and allow you to pick kind of the right plant for, for your space. Then I think like the next step that you should do is actually just ask yourself, well, what kind of quote unquote, plant parent would you be? Are you somebody who's a little bit more hands on or a little bit more hands off? Um, you know, this month with sheltering in, you might be a little bit more hands on than typical, but think about it from a more long term perspective. Um, if you have this plant in your home. And, you know, if you're somebody who travels a lot, then you're probably going to want something that thrives a little bit more under benign neglect. Um, and then you start to look at when you look at the light and the type of plant parent you are, then what kind of space you're going to put it in. Um, if, you're, if you're just looking for a desk plant to keep you company while you're working from home, well, then you're probably going to want something small. Um, if you want something that's like more of a, that can hang over you, then you'd probably want to look something that has a structure of a hanging basket plant. So these are the things that you could do in order to be able to find the right kind of plant for your environment. Let's take some calls. Molly is calling us from Point Pleasant. She's on line one. Hi, Molly. Thanks for calling all of it. Hi. Um, I have been making moss terrarium, and I was just wondering if I could find any samples in the woods that would be compatible with my mosses. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Um, so that's that's a great question, Molly. So most most of the live moss that we actually see um, or that we could get from plant shops or that we can order are often just collected from um, they're they're actually wild harvested uh, and I found this out actually through one of the premier kind of like moss harvesters um, who actually sell to the sells to the trade and I'd ask them, I'm like, well, where do you actually get this moss and they actually go through different places and they harvest it they try to do it as sustainably as possible because they don't want to remove it all at once. But um, having moss and also preserved moss is actually an important part of the horticultural industry. Um, so 
technically, yes, you could actually go and probably harvest that. I think one of the challenges maybe is that when you're harvesting from your, you know, forest or from stones um, nearby, is that it, it may come with um, uh, certain uh, insects or bugs hmm. or things naturally that would be outdoors. Um, and whether that will affect being in an enclosed terrarium the rest of your moss, uh, it may or may not. I think it's common to find these little bugs that kind of like, you know, like pill bugs, they call them roly polies or sow bugs that often kind of live near and in around moss. So I would just be a little bit more cautious with that. Um, you wouldn't want to like heat up the moss or anything like that because you could potentially, you know, uh, disturb it or kill it. So you might just want to tease out the um, the soil substrate if there's any from the moss itself to reduce any kind of pathogens that might come in or any type of fungus that might come in. Um, or you could like set that moss aside into a different terrarium if you see that there's no uh, fungus or mildew or anything that's happening on that moss, then you could probably move it to the rest of your terrariums. But it is possible actually to buy um, live moss uh, from purveyors. And I think more and more people are actually buying things online now. And there are uh, plenty of plant purveyors out there that are actually trying to to get online in order to be able to sell during this time of sheltering in. But moss terrariums are great. And it's a perfect um, addition to a home, especially if you don't have a lot of direct light coming into your home. Molly, good luck with your terrarium. Summer, where are some of the what are some of the online resources for people who if they want to get started? and start planting or start having a garden at home? Yeah, well, I would say that um, try to look at your local plant shops and see if they've moved online. I've actually Mm -hmm. started an initiative called Plant One Forward. It's on my blog at homesteadbrooklyn.com, and we have about 200 um, plant shops that have submitted themselves that they've like either moved online or doing local delivery or curbside pickup or anything along those lines. So that's a great place to start. Um, and then I would recommend people to go to places like Etsy, especially if you're doing like moss terrariums, you'd be able to get really cute with it too. And you could get like these like small little figurines that you could actually put um, into your moss terrariums if you want to go that route. Um, and oftentimes they'll sell moss or like lichen on a stick, like a lot of things that we can't actually access when you're in the city. <laughs> Any country person listening to this will actually laugh. They're like, oh, somebody's selling lichen on a stick. But, um, <laughs> you know, these are the things that we don't actually get access to when you're living in, in the in a more urban context. But Etsy, eBay is a really great place to go. And then there's this like great plant shops like um, that I personally love, like Steve's Leaves, The Sill. Uh, Bloomscape, a number of others um, that are out there. But uh, I would also encourage people to kind of uh, look at your local plant shops, see if they're selling online or if you you could actually pick up curbside because I think a lot of our local plant shops need extra help around this time where some of them had to close or change their, their hours or the way that they work. My guest is Summer Rain Oaks. She's the author of How to Make a Plant Love You, Cultivate Green Space in Your Home and in Your Heart. Let's go to Alex, who is on line four, I believe. And Alex is calling from Scotch Plains. Hi, Alex. Hi. Um, So I recently uh, started rebooting the garden. Um, We have this bed that was taken over by Mint. Moved some of it into pots. This happened like a week ago. And this morning, I went to go set my other plants outside, and I noticed that, I guess the deer uh, ate some of the tops of my mint plants while 
in the side bed, it remains untouched. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do I need to start sending out like decoy pots of plants I don't care about or something? Like this is ridiculous. <laughs> they don't eat any yeah. of the mint out in the. I mean, that's that's interesting. How far away is it from your garden bed? Is it just like right next to your garden bed? Um, it's like uh, maybe like twenty feet or so. Okay, okay, so it's a little bit further away. I mean, maybe they felt really comfortable that it was right there, but, I mean, in a way, um, eating the tops of your mint plants is not necessarily a bad thing because um, oftentimes in order for us to make our mint plants a little bit more bushy, um, we just cut off the tops of our mint anyway, but it sounds like you don't have that uh, challenge of wanting to make your mint more bushy. I mean, um, mint is, as you were intimating, and for those who don't know, is a type of plant that really spreads um, rhizomatously by rhizomes, like just underneath the soil surface. And pretty soon your whole uh, garden bed, as you were mentioning, Alex, is going to be taken over by mint. So it's one of those things that is, is good to, to, to grow in a container um, if you want to grow anything other than mint in your, in your garden bed. Um, I, I would, you know, if you, if it's possible and there's still, you know, light for your container mint plant, I mean, I would try to move it maybe a little bit uh, closer to your garden bed. Maybe it's just an easy access point for um, that deer. Or if you want, um, and, and if you could move that back, and then if you did put a quote-unquote decoy plant, I would maybe put something that is a little bit more deer-resistant. So that's common around here. You'll be able to, to find at garden centers. It'll Often it will have like pollinator-friendly, bee-friendly, um, deer-resistant and there are plants that, that deer will not eat. Um, but deer are a problem um, for, for lots of people. And if, it's, if it gets to be too much of a problem, I don't know if it's possible to put up any kind of deer fencing. Usually those uh, water sprinklers that come by, if a deer c- comes by, could be possibly good. But I don't know in an urban context or a suburban context if that would actually work. But I would maybe, if you were to do a decoy plant, Um, It would be, you know, something that's a little bit more deer resistant. Uh, But the mint, if it's cutting off the top of it, I wouldn't necessarily worry about it. Mint is very prolific and will come back. You just might not want any of that deer saliva on there if you're trying to make your mojitos. (laughs) Good good luck, Alex. Let's go to Abby. Abby, Abby's asking a question that I wanted to ask. So, Abby, I'm going to let you go for it. Hi, Abby. Thank you. Hi. Um, so I live in a fairly small apartment, but I get a decent amount of light. So I was wondering about the best either fruits, vegetables, or herbs to grow indoors, um, specifically in New York City. Yeah, so you get a decent amount of light. What what does that actually mean? Do you get um, light in the morning? Is it kind of an intense light towards um, the day? Uh, you know, uh, just so I could better help you. Yeah, so I'm pretty lucky. I have north and um, west facing windows, so I get a lot of okay. light in the morning, and I get some afternoon light as well. Okay, yeah. So for like for the, so you have a north window and a west window, or is it a, a northwest window? Um, I have both. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so northern windows a little bit challenging to grow anything that's um that's fruiting or or edible, I would say, um, unless you consider a maiden hair fern edible in a northern exposure, because actually maiden hair ferns, I found out, are, are edible, and, and, um, and the, uh, uh, certain cultures actually do eat uh, maiden hair fern for medicinal purposes, so I would recommend that for the northern. The western exposure is wonderful and is a saving grace, because you'll be able to actually grow 
um, quite a bit of, uh, of plants in a Western exposure. If you wanted to get away with herbs, um, like table herbs, if you wanted to do like a mint or a thyme, um, I've even grown uh, curry leaf. Uh, you could get curry leaf usually through local plant purveyors like Logies um, at Logies.com. That's actually, I should have mentioned that before because it's another great mail order online purveyor. Um, you could even, you know, go with basil. And uh, and in order to keep those plants bushy, as I had mentioned in the, the last caller, sometimes you just need to cut off the tops of them. Um, microgreens could also be a really great option if you want to grow plants that are, it just takes seven to 10 days from seed. And if you want to sow those in, uh, when they're at seed stage, they don't even need light. They just need uh, light when they start to actually grow. And then you could collect them within seven to 10 days, like the little sprouts that are coming out and you could go really, um, you know, interesting plants with that, like a little shisos and mustard greens and um, sunflower, uh, sunflower seeds and things like that, that you could actually, you know, try um, in a Western window. And um, there are a lot of great table fruits that you could grow. It's a little bit more challenging in the winter months, because you'll want to be able to give them some light. But uh, Meyer lemons, uh, is a, a great opportunity to do. They have like small container ones that you could actually grow uh, indoors as well. Um, it it could be a little bit more challenging, like I said, in the winter months, or if you don't have like a balcony to kind of or a patio, a uh, heated patio to kind of put them on. But um, for right now, you could actually do that. And some of these lemon lemons will actually start to give these trees will actually start to give lemons at um, a very small stature. Uh, they're they're literally like table lemons, and that you'll you'll have a small tree that could that could produce those. But you need a lot of light, and you need to be keeping up on the watering without watering too much. That will invite root rot. But herbs are going to be very very easy in a western uh, window, and you could get them pre-started, or you could get them as seeds, like I had mentioned, and and start them off, um, and and get them as microgreens, and cut them up in seven to ten days, and put them in your salad. Okay, Abby, once you start growing, you have to send us pictures, okay? We want to see how your garden grows. Okay, yeah, for sure. Will. Thank you so much. That was helpful. My guest yeah, is you're house, welcome. houseplant expert and author Summer Rain Oaks. We're taking your calls at 646-435-7280. We'll continue our conversation after we take a quick break. This is all of it. My guest is Summer Rain Oaks, author of How to Make a Plant Love You, Cultivate Green Space in Your Home and Your Heart. She's also, you can watch her on YouTube in Houseplant Masterclass. So we had a couple of interesting tweets and comments and questions from the staff. I also see our lines are lighting up again. The number is 646-435-7280. What is a good project to start with your kid? You know, a lot of kids are home from school that you could turn it into something that's fun, but also a little bit of science and also get them started on a plant habit, a good plant habit. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent question. And, and doing plants um, and plant activities with kids is just, there's nothing else like it. I mean, to be able to, to show patience and to show things growing and to show, showcase that you could take care of something every day and watch it grow is just really amazing. Um, so one of the fun things I could think of is that we're going to be, we're probably cooking a lot more in our homes and something fun that I could think of off the top of my head is taking some of your kitchen scraps and watching them grow again. And you could do this with celery. 
I mean, many of us have left potatoes or both sweet potatoes and regular potatoes on our countertops and watch them grow like their little ears um, and their eyes out, out of the potatoes. And um, sweet potatoes, I think, are, are even better than regular potatoes um, because you'll start to see like green sprouts come off of them. So if you put even the sweet potato uh, a base in water and you start, you have st- seen the, the little eyes start to come out of the, the sweet potato, that will start to grow really beautiful green leaves, which are actually edible on the, mm. on the sweet potato vine. So um, that is so fun to do. You don't even have to go outside to do those things. Um, the celery, you know, cutting off the, if you have like the, the base of the celery and you put that into some water and start to see the celery stalks grow again. Um, it's just really neat. And I think that you could teach kids about like regeneration and how plants heal and how they, they vegetatively propagate. Um, I think that could be really fun. And there's so many different things that you could do that with, with just our table scraps. Um, it might even be a really great opportunity to be able to talk to kids about food waste, um, which I think is obviously very pre- prevalent in our society. And then I mentioned seed starting. And actually, that is one of the things that I'm doing indoors now. Um, you know, just taking some of my, uh, I'm growing container corn, some peas, and I've started my tomatoes, and I'm starting dill indoors. And oftentimes, we want to start seeds indoors anyway, because it's not always safe to plant outside in certain areas where there might be a frost. So if you have um, like a seed starting mix, this is like a potting medium that's mm-hmm. just called a seed starter. And, um, and then you, I like to actually start my seeds, and this is much more visible, on a uh, wet, moist paper towel on a paper plate, and you put saran wrap over the top, and you put it on like a little heating pad. You could get a heating pad um, online. I actually put it on my countertop because I have a fluorescent light underneath that warms up the countertop. And that heat and that moisture is enough to usually make some of your seeds start to develop a little root. Uh, And then from there, you could use like a pair of tweezers and you could pull that seed out and then you could put it into your your seed starter mix. And then you'll want to put a, a light probably within one to two inches away from, um, from that, that plant um, in, in the container that you have it in, or you could put it on, um, on your windowsill. If you're just putting in your windowsill, it, it's, it could be a little bit challenging if you don't have enough light. So that's why I say, you know, having a little grow mm-hmm. light uh, near the top of it and watching that plant grow. I mean, you will see kind of the green leaves emerging. The, the peas for me are so fun because you'll start to see their little tendrils come out and they're um, pretty little butterfly leaves and things along those lines. So those are two activities that I could think of um, that would be really fun for kids um, to do indoors. And of course, like repotting plants and seeing roots and getting messy um, is also very good, provided that you have a a vacuum cleaner or a a broom handy. Let's go to Mike on line three. Mike has a little bit of a problem. Hi, Mike. Hi. um, So I discovered a bunch of... um, mites on my plants last week, um, specifically on a, a, a fig tree that I have in a pot and um, on a big succulent I have. And so I gave them all a shower and I soaked them down with some diluted Dr. Bronner's um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, rinsed it back. And um, the, the fern I had, I think, had some mites on it. I just put it outside because I was 
really kind of unsure about how to wash all of the leaves. Um, and obviously it's getting cold outside. So I guess I'm wondering, um, are the plants that I washed down okay? Should I do it again? And then the, the fern that's outside, I'm a little bit concerned because it's, it's getting so cold outside. So I'm, I'm just wondering about those two things. Yeah, great question. Um, if you I identified them as, um, as definitely as mites, and just to give people an indication, um, mites are uh, are not insects. So uh, don't use insecticide if you find mites on your plants because it it won't actually work, and oftentimes it will actually affect the plant itself. Um, and typically, mites are very challenging to see when we start to see a little bit more webbing on our plants, it becomes a little bit more apparent that we have an infestation of mites. And um, Mike, I don't know if you were able to catch them and nip it at the bud a little bit more early on. Um, if you were doing it a little bit more early on before the webbing was there, um, and then you have a little bit more of uh, a, a chance, I think, to just to, to be um, uh, to save your plant. So it, it really helps being diligent and observant when it comes to our plants. And typically, mites get invited onto plants when there is an increased stress. So it could even be 15 minutes of an intense sunlight that really affected the plant and the plant is producing some kind of pheromone and maybe the spider mites dropped in. And then spider mites can move very freely from plant to plant. So what might have happened is that um, one plant was affected and it kind of moved on to another one, even if it was just like you walking by and the wind blew and, and a, a mite went from one point to the other. Um, what you did was actually washing out, I would say, uh, your plants using, if you have any type of like hose or anything that is um, is available that you could use like in your shower or whatever with sharp sprays, uh, provided that you have your hands behind the leaves and that they they don't get like... Um, uh, bruised in any kind of way. Um, sharp sprays from the hose really help. Uh, if you have a humidifier, keeping at least not the succulent probably in the humidifier, but keeping the uh, fig tree a little bit more closer to the humidifier, this will actually keep uh, the mites hopefully at bay if it wasn't that far along. Um, and what you're actually doing with the fern is a really good option. I think with the cold that's coming in, you might want to take it in because it might actually provide um, a little bit more stress for the plant. But if you have a place where you could put, if you've noticed thrips, mealybugs, or uh, mites on your plant, and if you have a sheltered place, meaning not in full sun, but like maybe dappled shade or partial shade, and you can put an affected plant outside um, when it's warmer out, then I've found through my own experience that actually some of the beneficial insects that come with the springtime and the summertime could actually uh, do wonders and save a lot of houseplants that typically might be challenged inside. Um, I have brought back my edenium, my desert rose from the situation. It doesn't always work, but I think that your inclinations are actually right but I would definitely pull in something if there was going to be like a frost or anything like that. And especially if that plant is not really cold tolerant, um, you, there is an option of maybe using like a horticultural soap. I don't always recommend it. You'd want to try that out on like one leaf and you want to make sure that your, um, your, your plant is not in any kind of direct light because it can burn 
the leaf when uh, when you have that kind of soapy material on your plant. So even when you're using Dr. Bronner's or something like that, a diluted Dr. Bronner's, you're going to want to make sure that you're not putting the plant right back into any kind of intense light just for the, the fact that it might be phototoxic in any kind of um, capacity. Now, if you notice that the spider mites are keeping coming back and you're going to have to, I'm, I'm afraid you're probably going to have to keep on top of your plant. And yes, you might have to go back into spraying it again. Um, and just to keep the pests at bay, if you feel like it's being a vector and it might affect your other plants, then I would recommend when it's warmer, just kind of putting it out in that dappled shade area. And then if it, you feel like it's too far gone, if you saw the webbing, I might have to, you know, tell you to get rid of it only because uh, it could be in the possibility where it could just be a vector for your other plants and you and you and it would be a lot to manage. Um, but good on you if you're able to actually get it when it's um, uh, closer to the time when you're just starting to notice it. Summer, our lines are completely full and we're almost out of time. So we may have to talk you into coming back next week, if that would be okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, it's, you know, I feel like Earth Day is every day. So <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I do want to get one this last question and it came in to us from Instagram. because I think it's one that people have a lot. And if, if you wouldn't mind have it, giving us a shorter answer, it's from Tara Dente. Yeah. She says, how do I water a small cacti versus succulents at home? I have a larger size succulent, a smaller cacti and a small aloe plant. What do I do? Okay, so right now, most of our succulents and cacti are breaking out of dormancy. So um, if you have a substrate that is really well draining, then I would say you should never feel like you're going to overwater your cacti or succulents if you have a really well draining mix and you have a, a planter with a hole in the bottom. Um, if your mix is like a little bit peatier and it kind of holds on that water, then you're just going to be wanting to, to be ginger with, um, with water in your plant. Um, or you might consider actually changing it out to put it into a little bit more airy mix. Most of my cacti and succulents that I get, I, I immediately pot them up into an airy mixture, which means more perlite, more you know lava stone, something that kind of breaks it up so that you never will overwater your plants. Some succulent and cacti roots are very, very sensitive. And if they don't have a lot of airflow and if they don't have that airy mixture, then, um, then they, could, they could potentially rot very easily. Um, but if you're giving your succulents, you know, the light that they need, um, then you should still be watering your plants very thoroughly and thoroughly means watering till the, till the water comes out of the base, you know, at 10 to 20% of the water coming at the base. And, um, you're going to water in relation to the light that you're giving it. So if you're giving it that Southern or Western exposure and you're getting that intense light, then you're probably in general, I would say, going to be watering every, every one to one and a half weeks starting in the spring and probably every week during the summer, it's hard to make those blanket statements yeah. um, w without seeing, but uh, that's what I would recommend. Okay, Summer, what we're going to do for all our friends who are on the phone, our screeners are going to take all of your calls and all your questions and write them down, and then we're going to coordinate calendars with Summer and hopefully have <laughs> you back in the next week or so. Summer Rain Oaks, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And for people who want to watch on, they can watch my YouTube channel at Plant One On Me um, as well. So if they want answers there, there's plenty there. And I'm excited to come back on again. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk soon. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. 
Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.